Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. How many of you have ever seen someone at a televised sporting event holding up a sign like this? Let me see. You've seen this on TV. I remember growing up, it seemed like every game I ever watched, whatever it was, usually it was the 49ers winning. Am I right? And... uh, that's probably where you saw it as well, but a baseball game, wherever it might be, and there'd be multiple people behind the end zone holding up the sign. John 3.16, probably, probably the most familiar, and maybe we would use the word famous, verse in all of Scripture, the most well-known verse in all of Scripture. Some of you might remember back in the college football national title game in 2009, January the 8th, 2009, as uh, Florida uh, Gators uh, quarterback Tim Tebow decided to put John 316 on his eye black. And uh, they won the national title game that, that year in 2009, and we're told that during that game about 94 million people Googled John 316. Interesting epilogue to that story, some interesting, I guess you might call them coincidences, depending on whatever you want to call them, or, or workings of the Lord, I'm not sure what you might call them, but exactly three years to the date, January 8th later, 2012, Tim Tebow found himself as the Denver Broncos quarterback in a playoff game. Some of you might remember that if you're a football fan, that game, they were playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. That game went into overtime, and in really what was considered a pretty big upset and a pretty miraculous finish, um, the the Broncos won. As Tim Tebow was coming off the field and about to go into the locker room, uh, one of the PR staffers stopped him, and they said, Tim, and he said, said, I got to talk to you, Tim, do you know what just happened? He said, yeah, we just had a miraculous finish for a playoff victory in in overtime. We just won. We beat the Steelers. He said, no, 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 no. Do you understand your stats? He said, Tim, in that game, because of the overtime statistics, he said, during that game, you threw for 316 yards. Your yards per rush were 3.16. True story. Your yards per throw in the game were 31.6. The TV rating during the game was 31.6. And he, and he said, and our time of possession as a team was 31 minutes and six seconds. Interesting epilogue to John, John, him wearing that three years to the day earlier. Why do I bring that up? Many of you, if, you've, if you attend church regularly or if you grew up in church, you know what John 3.16 says. If we understand the story in John 3, we, we know who said it, many of us. It was Jesus. Those are the very words of Jesus. But this morning, in the next few moments that we're together, I want us this morning to take a look at the man to whom Jesus said those famous words to. That some 2,000 years later, Tim Tebow decided to put on his eye black. The man that prompted, whose questions prompted Jesus to answer the verse that we know that has been held up at at countless sporting events and live televised events, John 3.16, the man's name is Nicodemus. 
Nicodemus is found in three different passages in John's Gospel. We don't know a a whole lot about him, but then on another hand, we kind of do know a lot about him in just a few passages. And this morning, we're going to look at those three passages together. It's interesting in these three passages to see the different stages of Nicodemus' life, of his relationship with Jesus of his understanding of who Jesus was, and I think that all of us are going to be able to take some things away as we study the life of the one to whom John 3.16 was originally spoken to, Nicodemus. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to John chapter number 3. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. I say this, it feels like nearly every Sunday. At Liberty, we seek to make much of the preaching of Scripture. If there's any power in anything that happens today in this service or in my preaching, it's not because of my opinions or my personality or my preparation. If there's any life change or or, or lasting power that comes from my preaching, it's because of the power of the very words of God. And so I often encourage folks to follow along for themselves and to see the Scriptures. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you or you're not sitting where you can grab one in the pew rack, um, if if you'd like to and you're following along on a phone or a tablet, I'll be reading this morning from the King James Version of the Bible. And we're going to begin in John chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 1. John 3, verse number 1, the Bible says, there was a man of the Pharisees named who, church? Named? Nicodemus, the what? What was he? The ruler of the Jews. So a Pharisee was a religious group of people that sought to really hold to all of the Old Testament scriptures, all of the laws, and in fact, they really placed a high emphasis on keeping religious rules. They didn't really understand much about who Jesus was. In fact, they were some of the biggest opponents of Jesus. Isn't it interesting? You can be very religious and yet not actually a follower of Christ. And that's who they were, and Nicodemus is one of these. So this man, he is a very respected man. He's the ruler of the Jews. In the Jewish religion, he's one of the rulers. He's a very religious man. He's a ruler of the Jews. He's a man with great position. He's a man with some prestige. He's a man that that would have been uh, respected and, and have power. And then look at verse number two. The same Nicodemus, that man, came to Jesus by, when did he come to Jesus, church? By what? By what? That's interesting. And said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. It's interesting. I don't know if he's speaking for his fellow Pharisee rulers, but he says, we know there's something different about you. I don't know if he's just speaking for himself or his family. Whatever it was, This wasn't a real smart move politically for him to be seen with Jesus, which is why most, and I believe this to be true, why he went by night. I believe he went under the cover of darkness. He didn't want anybody knowing. At this time, it wasn't real popular uh, to be associated with Jesus, and, uh, and he didn't want anybody knowing, especially if you're a Pharisee, that he is going to Jesus, and he comes to him. And, and what we see in the first stage of Nicodemus' life, we see here in the first stage, the first place where he's found in John 3, Nicodemus asking Christ questions. He was interested in Christ. He was, he was curious, but definitely not committed. He was searching, but he was scared for others to know that he was searching. I want to know more about Jesus, but I don't really want people to know that I want to know more about Jesus. 
I want to figure out if he has the answers, but I also have a pretty good life without him, so I'm not sure that I want to lose my life without him, but there's something different. And you can see this tension in Nicodemus's life because he continues on as a Pharisee, and the Pharisees are going to be some of the biggest, they're going to be the ones that put Jesus to death. Some of them, they're going to be some of the biggest opponents of Jesus. And so there's this tension in Nicodemus. I, I know there's something, we know, Rabbi, that's a, a very respectful term Nicodemus uses to Jesus. Rabbi, teacher. We know you're come from God. We know there's something different about you because nobody else can do what you do. And he comes, and we're going to get back to this in a minute, but he's at, he starts to ask some questions. He's curious, but not committed. He, he's interested, but he's not ready to fully get involved with the cause of Christ. I'm interested in Christ, but I'm not really ready to make the changes. And maybe there are some here in this room or some that are watching that that stage of Nicodemus' life describes you. You're here. You're interested. You'd you like to know some more, but yeah, I'm not quite ready. That, that's good for Greg and all. That's a great video, but I don't know about this whole following him and changing a bunch of stuff in my life. I, I got a pretty good life without him. Maybe that's you. You're curious. You're, you're asking some questions. You're not a, maybe totally against it, but you're, you're not fully committed. You see, Nicodemus knew the Old Testament, but he didn't understand who Jesus was or all that he represented. He, he had a religious background and some deep religious commitment, but he didn't have the answers he was looking for. Is that you? Life hasn't gone the way you expected. You, different people have told you different things about religion, the afterlife, the origin of life, the purpose of life, and you're not really sure what to believe. And you have some questions. Let me just stop and say, that's great. Jesus doesn't shy away from our questions. God's Word doesn't shy. It's so good to have Jay and Betsy Shane are here. And Jay's testimony is some 60 years ago as a man in the military, he had questions about Jesus, and he wasn't ready to follow him. And, and he came, and one of his, his, uh, his, his friends there came to him and, and began to witness to him. And Jay said, I've got questions you can't answer. This man was a Christian, and he wanted Jay to become a Christian. And Jay said, no, that's not for me. I've got questions you can't answer. And his friend said, well, go ahead, ask. And Jay's testimony is that every question he asked, his friend didn't say, well, my church thinks, well, my pastor says. His friend said, he turned to a place, he turned the Bible around, and he put it back across the table and said, well, there's the answer. Well, what about, well, what about, and after all of his questions were answered, Jay said, I don't know about all of his questions, but, but he said, you know what, I think I need to follow this Christ. I think I need to make Jesus my Savior, and 60-plus years later, he's still faithfully with his wife serving the Lord. So it's all right if you have questions. Jesus isn't scared of your questions. Ask them. Keep digging. Keep learning. Keep studying. Ask away. Keep coming to church. So this is the first time we see Nicodemus in Scripture. Would you turn a few chapters over? John in chapter number 7. The first time we see him, he's a religious leader secretly meeting Christ to ask some questions. Let's see the next time that he's mentioned. John chapter number 7. Let's look at verse number 25. Then said some of them in, of Jerusalem, is not this he whom they seek to kill? Speaking of Jesus, isn't this the guy everybody wants dead? But lo, he speaketh boldly. He's not scared. And they say nothing unto him. They're, they're not standing up to him. They say they want to kill him, but they're letting him do what he wants to do. Do the rulers, notice this, verse 26, do the rulers... Know indeed that this is the very Christ? What do the religious leaders think about this? Do they, do they think he's the Savior? 
Howbeit we know this man whence he is, but when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. We know where Jesus came from. We wouldn't know, so I don't think he is. There's confusion about who Jesus is. Look at verse 28. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, You both know me and know whence I am, and I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom you know not, but I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? Look at verse 32. The who church? The... The who? Nicodemus is a ruler of the Pharisees. The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. So there's this confusion about who Jesus is. And people are saying, I mean, we, we know where he's from, and that doesn't make sense if he's from heaven. We know that he's from Nazareth. So I, but, but is there going to be anybody else that ever comes that can do more than he's done? I, I think that is him. And so here's the reality. Jesus was bad for business down at the Jewish synagogue. And so the rulers, they're like, they, they start hearing that people are starting, it says many people believed on him. They start hearing that people are believing on Jesus and they get together and the Pharisees of whom Nicodemus is in the hierarchy of, they send officers to say, it's done, we're done, this is enough. We put up with this guy long enough. Too many people are following him. Too many people are believing on him. We're done. Go get him. Let's take him. Skip down for the sake of time to verse number 40, if you will. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said of a truth, this is the prophet. This is the one we've been looking for. Others said, this is the Christ, the, the Messiah. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? That little small town, that's where the Savior of the world is going to come from? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem and where David was? Again, still some confusion of who he is. So there was a division among the people because of him. And some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. They wanted to put him in jail, but nobody was, was bold enough to do it. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, why have you not brought him? Guys, we sent you over there to get Jesus. They came back empty-handed, and they said, guys, we gave you, you had one job. Bring Jesus back. Where is he? Look what, look what the officers say to the Pharisees, of whom Nicodemus is in this crowd. The officers said, here it is, would you, would you read uh, verse number 46 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. The officers answered, never man spake like this man. There's just something different. There's something different about his word. There's something different about his works. There's something different about his spirit. There's something different about him. We didn't bring him because there's something different. Notice what it says in verse 47. Then answered them to Pharisees, are you also deceived? You guys too, you're going to believe in this, this whole Jesus thing? Verse 48, have any of the, look at this verse, have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? Hey guys, don't you respect us for, the Pharisees are speaking, don't you respect us for knowing the Bible? Well, Yeah. Don't you think we're religious? Well, yeah. Haven't we studied the Old Testament since we were little children? Well, yeah. Don't we have the Torah down, committed to memory? Well, yeah. Don't we know all of the rules and we speak every week in the synagogue? Well, yeah. Hey, Nicodemus is here, and I don't know all the other names of them, but we got Bob and Joe and Nicodemus or whatever their names were. Have you seen any of us believing on him? And Nicodemus, I, I know, I be really believe based on where we're going to go, he's standing there thinking, oh man, I, I, I kind of am. Have any of us, well, if we're not believing on him, you shouldn't believe on him. If we don't think it's real in our lives, you shouldn't think it's real. Look at verse number 49. 
But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. These, these idiots that are, I'm not trying to be irreverent, but these, these fools that are following Jesus that don't have all of the knowledge we do, they're, they're cursed. Now look at who speaks up. What's the first word of verse number 50? What's the first word, church? What is it? Uh-oh. So Nicodemus is standing there and says here, Nicodemus saith unto them, and just to make sure we knew who it was, he that came to Jesus by night being one of them. Hey, guys, have you seen any rulers believing on him? These guys, and here's Nicodemus. He speaks up, and what does he say in verse 51? Hey, guys, doth our law judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went into his own house. Here's what Nicodemus, the second time we see him in Scripture, He's willing, he's, 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 first time we see him in scripture, he's asking questions about Jesus. Second time we see him in scripture, he's willing to associate with Christ, but from afar. He speaks up. Now, he doesn't want anybody to know that he's, that he's really thinking about Jesus and that he, he kind of maybe is starting to believe and he's maybe considering leaving his current life and giving everything to Jesus. It, it, he's not ready to make that commitment yet, but he is to the step that he, do you see him? He takes a step and he speaks up. They're saying, let's go find Jesus, let's put him in jail, I don't care if he's done anything or not, I don't care what evidence you have, let's get this guy out of our hair, and what do they say? Uh, what does Nicodemus say? Um, hey guys, don't we have a thing called like due process in our system? Isn't, isn't it, if we were talking in American culture, isn't it innocent until proven guilty? Doesn't he have the right to remain silent? Doesn't he have the right to a lawyer? Like that's what it would have been today, and, and they look at him, since when do you care about Jesus having due process? Are you from Galilee too? It was a, it was, it, it was a mocking term. Hey, did you grow up with Jesus? Like, is that your buddy? Was, that, was he on your little league team? Well, Nicodemus, why are you speaking up? And what we see here, you can see just in the little snippets that Scripture gives us, he started asking questions. You can see that it's gone a little farther in his life. He's willing to speak up in vague ways. He's willing to associate kind of. He's even getting a little ridicule for, for what he says about Jesus, but he's not ready to commit. He's willing to associate for, with Christ from afar. You can almost see the wheels turning in his head. I, I'm not exactly sure who this Jesus guy is, but I know there's something different about him. I know for now, for like two years, I've been thinking about those things he told me back in John 3. He didn't tell him back in John 3. That he didn't have John 3. But back when, when I met with him, I'm thinking about all those things. I've been pondering that. I'm starting to believe that he might just be who he says he is. And guys, we can't treat him this way. But I'm not ready to step out and follow him fully. What can I say that will kind of help him, but won't get me in trouble, won't get me a, a demotion in my, in my hierarchy of the Jewish religion? Nicodemus associates with Christ from afar, but isn't willing to get too close. Maybe that's you. You're not against Jesus, so to speak. You're not like the other Pharisees. You're willing to associate with him from afar, and, 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 but I don't want to get too close. I don't want to make too strong of a commitment. Yeah, I believe there's a God, and I think Jesus was his son, but I'm just not ready to give my life to him. I, I'm not ready to follow him. I, I don't know what that's going to look like and the changes that it might bring. I, I'm not against Christ or Christians. In fact, I'm even in church on Easter Sunday. I'm not against it. My, my, my kids go to a Christian school. I, I'm thankful for the good things they can teach. I'm not against it, but that's for you. That's not for me. I, I'm not ready to fully step out. Nicodemus started asking questions. There's something different. I don't understand it. I don't get it. 
Then he begins to associate, but from afar, keeps, keeps the wall up. The next time we hear from him is about a year after this. He's undoubtedly been pondering the words of Christ from two years earlier. I, I imagine him at times laying in bed at night, not able to go to sleep, thinking about what we know as John 3.16 and some of the other truths that Jesus shared. The intensity over this time since he's met with him at night, the intensity against Jesus and the opposition has ramped up. He is public enemy number one in a lot of circles. In, in Jerusalem's most wanted, he's the first one. These pictures in the post office. We've got to get this guy. We've got, and that's beginning. And, and Nicodemus has sat in many a Pharisee staff meeting where they have tried to figure out how do we stop what he's doing? He's bad for business. He's messing up our, he's messing up our, our, our Jewish business, our synagogue. He's messing, he's taking our people and they're becoming converts. And instead of them giving us their tithes, they're now giving Jesus their life. We've got to stop this. And Nicodemus has been a part of all of that. And Nicodemus undoubtedly had heard about the blind that Christ gave sight and the crippled that he raised to walk again, about the feeding of the 5,000 and the multitudes that had followed him, the lepers who were cleansed, the widows who had been helped, the woman who was caught in adultery that had been forgiven, and all of this. And I, I, some of this I have to kind of just surmise because the Bible doesn't give us a lot. It gives us three spots. But based on the actions, we can figure out that some Somewhere from John 3 to where we're going to go in just a minute toward the end of John, somewhere in there, while still a Pharisee, while still towing the party line, somewhere in there he decided, you know what? All I see around me is empty religion. All I see around me is heavy burdens. Joyous, we're supposedly following God, but we're some of the most joyless, just rule followers in the world as Pharisees. And he looked around, I believe, at his life and his fellow Pharisee rulers and saw empty religion. He saw a form of godliness, but no truly life-changing power, no transformation, no joy. For three years, he's been pondering these things, somewhere around three years. And we aren't told when, but we know that somewhere along the way, something changed in Nicodemus' life. Something changed in his heart. Something changed in his relationship with Jesus. We know this because when Jesus' closest friends and followers, the 12 disciples, really at the time of crucifixion, the 11 disciples, because Judas has already betrayed Christ, when his 11 closest followers have deserted Jesus, they're running from Jesus, you're going to see here in just a minute, Nicodemus is running to Jesus. Somewhere along the way, he made a decision, you know what, I don't care what it costs me, I don't care what it looks like professionally, I don't care what power or position I lose, there's something different about Jesus. I knew it back at the beginning when I told him, there's something different about you. We know you're from God because nobody can do the things that you do. And for three years, he's been pondering these things, and finally, somewhere along the way, the ma something major changes. When Judas is betraying Christ, Nicodemus is believing in Christ. While Thomas is doubting him, Nicodemus is caring for Jesus' lifeless body. While Peter is denying Christ, Nicodemus is preparing his body for burial. When all of the disciples are walking away, Nicodemus is risking everything in his life and career to be one of two people who would take the body of Christ and personally care for it, preparing it for burial. What we celebrate today is the empty tomb. Nicodemus was on the other side side of that empty tomb, preparing the body of Christ to go into that borrowed garden tomb. How do I know this? It's amazing. God's Word is beautiful. Would you turn with me to John chapter number 19, the last place that we see Nicodemus. The only three places he's mentioned. John chapter number 19, 
Would you look at verse number 30, read verse number 30 aloud with me. John 19, verse number 30. Ready? Begin. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Aren't you glad for those three words? It is finished. You're here today, and I don't know what you've been taught about the Bible and about Jesus and about church. Maybe you've been taught that your good works have to outweigh your bad. Maybe you've been taught you have to try to do your best to earn your way into heaven. I don't know. Maybe you've been taught you've got to give a certain amount of money to the church, or you've got to to do good deeds, and you've got to try your best. May I just say, it is finished. Salvation has been paid for. There's nothing that you or I can do, no good works that we can do to earn our way to heaven. Jesus did all the work that needed to be done, and in John 19.30, he cries out, it is finished. What is finished? The payment of sin for all mankind, the eternal life for every person that would believe in Jesus. It is finished. And now skip down, verse number 38. And after this, so they come and they take his body off the cross, and after this, Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, notice this, he was a follower of Jesus, a disciple. He had accepted Christ. He had a relationship with Jesus. He was secretly for fear of the Jews. Again, being a friend of Jesus could be a death sentence. So he wasn't real outspoken in his faith. He besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. Verse 39, and there came also who, church? Who? What's he doing here? Pharisees are having an after party. They're somewhere celebrating the fact that they finally got rid of this guy. Nicodemus says, all the, all the big wigs are celebrating somewhere. We got done. We're done with Jesus. And they're all partying. And can you believe it? After three years, we finally got rid of him. And I don't know, but maybe there was somebody like, have you seen Nicodemus? No, I, 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 he got the invitation. We told him after they got Jesus' body off the cross, we were supposed to meet down here at that restaurant. We're going we're gonna to celebrate. He's gone. Where's Nicodemus? Nicodemus wasn't supposed to be here. Look what it says. Verse number 38 and 39. And there came also Nicodemus. And again, it re- wants us to make sure we know who it was. Which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, very, very sacrificial and, and, and very, very um, uh, valuable things. He brings about an hundred pound weight. Then took they, Joseph and Nicodemus, the body of Jesus, and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because the Jews' preparation day for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. It's the last time we see Nicodemus. And what do we see? The one that snuck in by night to ask some questions. And then the one that was a little more outspoken. Hey guys, I don't know that that's how we should treat him. Is now, doesn't care. He's risking everything I believe, and, and maybe I'm wrong, as I've studied, I, I, I truly believe Nicodemus, there's no other way that he's here with another disciple of Jesus Christ in this moment, except for Nicodemus has decided he is worth following. 
He is worth everything. He's worth giving my life to. I don't care what it looks like professionally. I don't care what people think. I don't care if they talk. I don't care what it means. If it puts me at odds with people I've been friends with forever, Jesus, there's something different. I knew it three years ago. I asked them some questions. I knew it when they were trying to go get them with the officers, and I tried to speak up. I'm done hiding. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I'm ready to make him my personal Savior. I'm ready to begin a relationship with him while the rest of the Pharisees are doing whatever they're doing. Nicodemus is nowhere to be found. He's there with his friend and fellow disciple, Joseph of Arimathea, lovingly and tenderly taking care of the body of their Savior. I have to imagine that tears may have been streaming down their faces. They don't know all that the future will hold, but one thing is sure for these two followers. They know they will never be the same, and they aren't ashamed to give their lives to do whatever they could for him, while almost no one else was willing to, including the 11 men that had walked with Jesus for three years. It's where we find Nicodemus. He goes from asking questions to associating from afar off to, I would suggest to you, thirdly, he accepts Christ personally. He accepts Christ personally. What made the change? Now we're going to go where we started. You listened well. I know our service is a little longer today. We had some extra music. My, my preaching is going to be a little, about 10 minutes less than it normally is, but I want you to see this. What made the change in Nicodemus's life? Go back where we started, John 3, and we'll finish it up here. John 3. What made the change? Why was Nicodemus willing, after giving his life to one thing, to say, you know what? Why was he willing to change it all? It's what Jesus, I believe, what Jesus said to him, what we would call the gospel of Jesus Christ changed it all. The gospel simply means the good news. And the gospel of Christ changed everything somewhere along the way. Now, it was a process. And by the way, that might be you. For me, first time I ever walked into a Bible preaching church as a nine-year-old boy, I placed my faith and trust in Christ alone. I didn't grow up in a Christian home raised by a single mom who texted me this morning, told me she can't wait to watch the service after she gets out of her church this morning. She'll be watching today. We didn't go to church growing up. Uh, Up until I was nine and a half, I had been to church twice. What changed? For me, it was the first time I went in and somebody told me what I'm about to tell you. In fact, it was John 3.3 that the man was preaching. He's now my father-in-law. I married his oldest daughter. He was the pastor, still is the pastor of our home church in Northern California. He was preaching from this exact chapter. The good news, he was preaching what Jesus said to Nicodemus, and it changed my life forever. And it did the same, I believe, for Nicodemus, and it could do the same for you this morning. Would you look at John in chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 3, we finish it up. Verse number, John 3, verse number 3. So he comes and says, we know there's something different about you. Look what Jesus says. Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What? Born again. What does that mean? Except to be born again. So Nicodemus, we told you he started with asking questions. Verse 4, Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And all the moms in the room said, absolutely not. We're not doing that again, right? We're not going through that again. One time was enough for each child. Nicodemus said, what do you mean, be born again? What does that mean? I don't understand what you're talking about. 
Notice what he says in verse number five, Jesus answered, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. All of us have a physical birth, but unless Jesus says, unless there's a spiritual birth, we all know a time and a place, especially if you're a parent, you know the time and place where your child was born. It's a specific location. If I asked you, when were you born? You would tell me your birthday. If I asked you, where were you born? You would tell me the location. I was born at Good Samaritan Hospital in San Jose, California. California on November 8th, a few years ago, <laughs> 28, 29 years ago, I can't remember exactly how many it was. A time and a location, Jesus says. Some people say, well, how do you know? Have you ever been born again? Oh yeah, I do that every night. That would be like me saying, when's your birthday? Oh, I do that every night. I'm born every day. No, that's not how it works. Jesus said there needs to come a specific time and a place in your life when you pass from death unto life. You make a decision to accept Christ as your personal Savior. Look what he says in verse number six. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Here's the verse my father-in-law was preaching the first time I ever heard the Bible preached. Verse seven, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Nicodemus comes with all kinds of religious, a religious resume with all kinds of religious attributes, and he says, we know there's something different about you. What's it all about? And he says, I came to bring life. If you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you have to begin a relationship with me. Nicodemus, you're very religious, but you have no relationship with the Savior, and you might be here this morning, and you might be very religious, or you might not be religious at all. That doesn't matter. I don't care if you've been in church since you were first born, or if this is the first time you've ever darkened the doors of a church. That doesn't have anything to do with getting us to heaven. The question is, have you been born again? Has there been a time and a place that you place your faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation? Look at verse, I'll skip down. I want to, he continues on. He asks some other questions. You can read it later. I want to go, and he goes in verse number 14 for the sake of time. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, uh, even so must the Son of Man, Jesus, be lifted up. Look at what it says, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. What does the word eternal mean, church? It means what? What's eternal mean? So it's a contrast. Should not perish, have eternal death, but have eternal life forever, life forever. None of us are going to live forever on earth, but there is eternal life available to us in heaven And then we come to the sign that if you're 28 or 29 like me, you grew up seeing on television broadcasts. They don't quite let them in, it seems like, anymore. Or maybe we're just not as bold of witnesses. I don't know. I don't see them at stadiums as much anymore, but I remember every time. And now we come to what Tim Tebow put on his eye black. What got Googled uh, 94 million times during the national title game of 2009? Would you read it aloud with me? Verse number 16. Ready? Begin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18, he that believeth on him, Jesus is saying these words to Nicodemus, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So here's Nicodemus. It's nighttime. He comes. Nobody sees me, right? I got to get over here. Maybe he's got his, his hood on. I'm not sure what he did. He got there by night. Rabbi, you got a few minutes. I got to know. There's something different about you. 
Nobody can do the stuff you do. What, what is, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. Born again? You know all I am? What are you talking about? Go back in my mom's belly and get born again? No, 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 no. You've got to be born physically. And you've got to be born spiritually. Hey, Nicodemus, God loved you so much that he sent me that if you'll believe on me, you'll have everlasting life. But if you don't, you're condemned already. Nicodemus, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to my father but by me. Nicodemus, will you trust me? And I don't think, I don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't say, and where the Bible's not, not dogmatic, I don't want to be dogmatic. I don't think, I don't think, I could be wrong. I don't think he trusted Christ that night. I don't think he was ready to make that commitment. But somewhere in the coming days, weeks, or months, some things started to change. And somewhere he decided, you know what? I don't care what it costs me. Because of what he told me here, I'm going to find his body. Joseph, I'm with you. I'll help you. Joseph, I don't care what they're doing. I don't care what it means professionally. I've got to help. He's my Savior. I've placed my faith and trust in him. We've got to prepare his body. We've got to do it the right way. And we're going to make sure that it goes in the tomb and nobody steals it. Joseph, he did so much for us. He took time for me when I was one of his opponents. He showed me love. He never, he never went back to me. I've got to do that. And we see the progression. He starts asking questions. Then he goes to associating from afar. And somewhere along the way, he chose to accept Christ personally, is today that day for you? You've been asking questions. Maybe you haven't. You've been associating from afar. You'll come to a Sunday service here and there. Maybe you come every Sunday, but don't, Jesus, don't come into the rest of my week. I'll give you an hour or two on Sunday morning, especially when Pastor Ryan gets going, it gets closer to two than one, right? But don't get into my, no, 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 no. And we associate from afar, and somewhere Nicodemus said, I don't care. I'm going to do whatever it takes to do what I can to serve him. What is Jesus saying if I had to summarize John 3? He's saying to Nicodemus, you need a relationship with me, not just a system of rules and religion that you try to follow. You need to be born into my family. You see, Nicodemus had a religious career, but Jesus told him he needed a relationship with Christ. What about you? Are you trusting Christ? What are you trusting in for salvation? Where will you spend eternity when you die? You hear these beautiful songs, and everybody, we're wearing our Easter clothes, and we've got Easter uh, pictures, and we've got an Easter egg hunt, and, and it's a beautiful day in Orange County. I'm, we're looking forward. Our family's going to go home and, and, and grill a tri-tip, and we've heated up the pool, and we're going to enjoy the afternoon, a nice family day, and we started the morning in prayer, and it's been great, but did we just go through a religious service today, or will we let a, a Jesus change us truly and begin a relationship with him? Are you a religious person, a moral person, someone who's trying to do their best in life, but you've never accepted Christ? Here's my question for you this morning. Will you accept him today? What choice will you make? Christian author Max Lucado, who, uh, or Lucado, who, whose books have sold more than 110 million copies, had this to say of choices. He said, you can afford many wrong choices in life. You can choose the wrong career and survive. You can choose the wrong city to live in and survive. You can choose the wrong house to buy and survive, but there is one choice that must be made correctly, and that is your eternal destiny. And Easter reminds us of that pivotal choice and whether or not we've made it correctly. Have you made the right choice for your eternal destiny to, to, to trust Jesus Christ and Him alone? 
You saw the testimony earlier in the service with Greg. I'm going to ask him to close the service, just to join me on up here on the platform, if you will. It's been one, one year ago today that he walked in for the first time on Easter Sunday. And he and I, we meet weekly, we study the Bible together, and, and I'm, I'm amazed at his hunger for God and the changes that he's trying to make and his admission of the changes he still needs to make. And, and, and I want him, I'm going to ask him just a couple of questions and then we're going to close, but you saw the video today and I'd like you to hear, I, I was thinking about this, Greg, I think, and I, don't, I didn't, hadn't planned it when I studied, but I just thought about it yesterday when I was going back through my notes. You and Nicodemus, some ways you share some similarities. You would have said you were Jewish, he was a ruler of the Jews. And, and you, I'll give you, we've got nine there. Um, I thought about this. Um, like Nicodemus, you're, you're a man with some position and some, some prosperity in life, respected by many around, a, a man with authority in your career. Again, much like Nicodemus, a man that was respected, had some authority. And like Nicodemus, I was thinking about this, you began to ask questions before you ever came here. You talked about it. One of your consultants talked about Job. You went and started searching online. You obviously had a believing wife at home that you saw some things in her life and, and different things there. You began to ask some questions, and that's where you started. And then, so you started by asking some questions in your own life and going to Google for some answers. And then you were willing to be associated with Christ from afar. I've got a believing wife. I'll pay for my kids to go to a Christian school. I'm not a, you even said I like the things they, how did you say that? Somebody said about having your kids in a Christian school. Yeah, someone asked me why I uh, send my kids to a Christian school. I said, I love the Christian values. That they teach. They teach. The, the, the funny part about that was they asked me what the values were and I really had no idea. Yeah, they, they followed up and said, what values are those? And you're like, oh, that's a good idea. Quick yeah. question. I haven't really, I'm not sure. But I think it's good. I'm paying good money for it, so it better be good, right? Absolutely. And, uh, and so from afar, and then you began to associate, and your wife was a Christian, and, and you, be, you were willing to go to, on Easter Sunday, and then a year ago, you heard the life-changing message of the gospel of Christ, and like Nicodemus, decided to accept Christ to begin a personal relationship with him, allowing Christ to change your life. What was your involvement, uh, Greg, in church and with Christ like for the first three decades, three plus decades of your life? So again, as you guys saw in my testimony, I had probably been to church I don't know, five or six times on Sunday mornings, maybe just like this, or for a wedding or a funeral, but I had no relationship with Christ. Um, in fact, I, if you would have asked me about Christ, I probably would have said, I don't believe in ghosts. Um, that, would have been, that would have been my response. And, and quite frankly, I identified as Jewish, not because I practiced Judaism, but it really, I felt like maybe it helped me negotiate deals better. Hmm. <laughs> At least he's honest, right? Um, that works, by the way. If, <laughs> if, uh, I feel like in this platform I should be selling someone something. So, I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 so you, can't, you can't take the salesman out of him. If someone would have told you, Greg, a year ago what, that your life would look like it does today, what would you have said to them? Man, if someone would have told me a year ago that my entire week schedule revolved around being here every Sunday, every Tuesday morning, Every Wednesday night for a group, I would have told you, there's just no way. I'm just way too busy. If someone would have told me a year ago that today I'd be in 357 straight days of reading God's word, I would have told you, I don't really like to read. Hmm. If somebody would have said, Greg, uh, you'd be giving 10% of your gross income or your gross increase back to God, or that uh, you'd be funding a, a homeless ministry in Texas, or we'd be sponsoring eight children overseas in addition to the six that I have here, <laughs> I would have said there's no way I work way too hard for my money. If someone would have said that one of the most fruitful relationships in my entire life would be with a pastor at a Baptist church, I would have told you there's no way I'm way too cool. 
<laughs> I don't appreciate that very much. I'm not sure what you're trying to say. But, uh, but, but, but here's the thing. Um, when I look at that cross, hmm. I see something missing. It's the body of our God. Yeah. Because the God that I serve, the God that we serve, is the only God that I know that's still alive. Hmm. And my testimony that you guys saw earlier and the things that I just shared, in my opinion, are proof of that because Greg in the flesh is, is too greedy, is too selfish, is too busy. But with the Holy Spirit alive inside of me, all those things are what I now cherish most. Hmm. So that's what I would tell you. If someone told you I'd be up here a year ago, I'd, I'd tell you you're crazy. But it's amazing how, 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 how the resurrection changes that. Amen. Amen. Praise God for that. And Greg, if, if there's somebody here this morning or that's watching or that listens to the podcast later on that's kind of associated with Christ, they're here on a Sunday, on Easter Sunday, but fearful to take that step to accept him, what would you say to that person? Well, I'd say that about 2,000 years ago today, Jesus was hung on that cross, and three days later, he rose again. And on Easter, I get to celebrate being born again, this time in spirit and with Christ. So I would, I would tell you that I would not leave here today without making that same commitment because it has changed my life forever. It's changed my family. Um, it's changed everything about me. So I would tell you that if you think you're too cool or too busy, I would tell you to really think on that because it is, it is a life-changing thing and, I, and I, feel, I feel blessed for it. Do you have any regrets following Christ? I have no regrets. Amen. Not I a single letter. Amen. Thank you. Appreciate it, Greg. Thank you. So that's a cool story, and I'm, I'm glad, I'm thankful for it, but what about you? What will you do with Jesus? Nicodemus had to make that decision some 2,000 years ago. I had to make that decision some 34 years ago. Greg had to make that decision a year ago. And now you have to make a decision today. What will you do with Jesus? Will today be the day of your salvation? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.